Do you think the Ten Commandments are still relevant today? Yes, definitely. Yes. Yes. Do you think the Ten Commandments are still relevant today? Absolutely. I do. I think they're very relevant. Are the Ten Commandments still relevant today? Uh, yeah. Absolutely, I do. Yes. Do you think the Ten Commandments are relevant today? I do. I do. Do you think the Ten Commandments are still relevant today? Yes. Yeah. Do you think the Ten Commandments are still important today? I believe they're important, but not as important as they were in the Old Testament times. Um, Can you name the Ten Commandments? Oh, my goodness. Okay, I had to do this for class one. Um, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not... Adultery, thou shalt not um, have any gods before me, um, thou shalt not uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <This> is, <laughs> sure, um, I can think of some of them. Um, thou shalt not lie, um, covet thy neighbors. I can name some of them, not all of them. Okay. So, um, thou shall not commit adultery. <laughs> um, thou shall not covet. Um, I mean, I know a whole bunch of them. I just can't think of them right now. <laughs> can you name them? Can I name them? All ten. Oh, gosh. Thou shall not steal. Thou shall not of it, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt love the Lord, that's a, that's the Lord rule. No, I really can't, I really can't name them all. Okay. So I am a great example <laughs> to what you're talking about right now about me not being able to name them. Yes. Okay, we're back. Okay, I can think of some of them. Um, don't lie, don't steal, honor your father and mother, um, don't covet your neighbor's wife, uh, keep the Sabbath day holy, uh, I'll take the worst name of the day. Um, don't murder. Don't steal. Did I say that one? Mm. Um, you shall have no other guys before me. Okay. Three, 
God's name should not be spoken in jest. Number four, keep the Sabbath. Five, don't lie. <laughs> Number six, um, I can't remember. Um, no, I really probably can't. Um, no. All right. Enough to get the idea, right? Now, here's what I will tell you. Those were not non-believers on the street. Those were people that work at a worldwide Baptist publishing company that will remain nameless. Right, Clay? We don't want to name anybody. And the point of that is that we talk a lot about the Ten Commandments. We fight for the Ten Commandments. We want the Ten Commandments put in places. But even as believers... We don't know the Ten Commandments. And I had this, uh, we were, we've been talking about this series as kind of a staff and where we're going with it over the last few weeks. And one of the things that kind of uh, persuaded me to kind of take that direction, or, or we talked about that video a little bit, was something I saw uh, a couple of years ago. I was flipping through the channels, and there was, uh, um, there was a show called The Colbert Report. And uh, I, was watching the, I was watching Stephen Colbert, and he... Um, was interviewing a congressman from Georgia who had run on the platform that the Ten Commandments should be in every public building in America. That was kind of his thing. We're, gonna, we're fighting to get the Ten Commandments back in the judicial system, in the White House. We want it posted everywhere. And so Stephen Colbert, in the middle of this interview, starts asking him. Colbert's a comedian. If you don't know that, he's trying to get reaction. And so he's going back and forth with him. And finally he says, now you believe in the Ten Commandments. He goes, absolutely, they need to be everywhere. He goes, all right, can you name them? And the guy looked at him and said, you mean all of them? And he said, yeah, all of them. Can you name them? And he got three. Now, he had run on putting the Ten Commandments up. That had been his platform. Now, why did he run on that? Because it got him elected. That's why he ran on it. And what I'm afraid has happened is we have trivialized the Ten Commandments into a political issue instead of understanding what they are, the divine revelation of a loving God who gave them to us for our benefit and protection in life. And so over the next few weeks, what we're going to talk about is these etched-in-stone principles that come from the Ten Commandments. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to talk about today, it's kind of an introduction, an overview, and I'll explain out of verse 2 while we're doing that in just a minute, but an overview of the entire uh, Ten Commandments and why they're still important, why we even study them, why should we care about the Ten Commandments. And so we're going to talk today about Why do we care or why should we care about these Ten Commandments? Now, let me tell you about something that we're going to be doing in this series that we hope to be doing, but we are going to be dependent upon you to help us, okay? One of the things that we want to start doing occasionally, and this series is going to be one of those times, and depending on how you respond, it might be every week, it might be every couple of weeks, but we want to be interacting with you and questions that you may have about either the sermons from the previous week or the topics from the week ahead. Now, this is easy when it comes to the Ten Commandments because you know that if this week we do the Commandment 1, next week we're going to do Commandment 8, right? No, we're going to do Commandment 2, right? If we do do Commandment 2 this week, we're going to do Commandment 3 next week. And so you can ask questions. We're going to give you an opportunity to ask questions through the week 
that we will then take time and answer in a forum kind of place. There are a couple of ways you can do this. One is we've created a Twitter account that you can follow and you can send direct messages or you can send, if you follow us at this account, we'll follow you so you can send a direct message. Or if you just want to post it on there, the general feed, it's at question FBCG. Or you can send us a message or right on the wall at our Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash FBCGoodlettsville. If you're not already a friend of ours, I don't like, is it fans they do now? If you don't, if you don't like us, go ahead, you know, like us on Facebook and we'd like, we'd like to be liked, okay? So you can do that there. We also, it's not up there. We do have a, a general Twitter feed, which is just uh, FBCGVILLETN that you can, we'll get that up to you sometime. But if you, during the week, say, you know what? This week we're talking about thou shalt not bear false witness. And I was wondering, does this count in that? You send us that question, and we will take time after the sermon to specifically address those questions, okay? If I say something this week and you go, I did not get that, or I don't agree with it, or I wonder about this, you send us a question, and at the end of the service next week, we'll talk about it, all right? Everybody understand that? Just act like you do, all right? Everybody got it? All right, so those are forms. Also, you can, if, you, if you're if you into texting and you have a staff member, Jeff, Coat, Alan, myself, text a number, you can text us those questions, and we'll, we'll get them that way as well. So, those are, we just didn't put all our cell phones number up on the screen, all right? But those are the ways that you can do that, and uh, we'll be glad to answer those. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you look at Exodus chapter 20, we're going to read it in just a minute. The first commandment, if you use that word, in the Hebrew people's mind was verse 2. Verse 2 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, how many of you have ever seen that with the number one beside it? No. Why? Because it's not a commandment. It's a statement, right? And these are the Ten Commandments. Here's the thing. The Bible never refers to them as the Ten Commandments. In Exodus, the literal translation is these are the Ten Words or the Ten Statements. In fact, uh, they're sometimes called the Decalogue. Uh, if you take your Greek background, deca means ten, log means words. And so it's ten words. And so the first word is verse 2. Now you say, well, wait a minute, Lyle. If the first word is verse 2, that makes 11 words. No, they take verse 3 and 4 and combine them into the second word. So we're going to talk today about implications from verse 2. Now, I didn't do that to don't go home, and if you've got one of those Ten Commandments tapestries on your walls, take it to somebody and say, we've got to have this redone. But we're just going to take it the way the Hebrews originally thought about it, and verse 2 serves as kind of an overall introduction to all of the Ten Commandments. And I want to give you three reasons today why I think it is significant to talk about the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, for ten weeks. This will be at the end of it. We, at the end of this series, we'll be at Thanksgiving. That tells you how long we're going to be talking about Ten Commandments. And it will be the longest series of sermons that I have done since I've been here. And so it must be important. Well, why is it important? Let me give you three reasons. First of all, they're important because of the historical significance they have. The historical significance they have. Verse 2, look at this. And God spoke all of these words. 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, when I say historical significance, what I mean is really twofold. One is because of their importance in Scripture, and two is because of their importance throughout history since then. And the first thing we have to understand is they are placed at a very important moment in the history of God's people. Now, you tell me, what had just happened for God's people? Good, somebody else. What? They'd been where? They'd been captives where? Egypt, if you don't know, verse 2 tells you, okay. They've been captives in Egypt, and what happens? God sends the ten plagues, and the ten plagues, they suddenly are released from Egypt. They get out of Egypt, and before long they get out of Egypt. Where do they end up? They end up with the Red Sea in front, Pharaoh's army behind, desert on both sides, and what happens? God splits, right? Charlton Heston walks through with everybody behind them. You got, the, you got that part where the Red Sea splits. They walk through on dry ground. They get to the other side. Suddenly the, the uh, Red Sea falls back in on them. They all get destroyed. Pharaoh's army is destroyed. And so the children of God, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, find themselves on the other side of the Red Sea, escaped, free, clear, and they don't have a clue what to do. Now, estimates go from the conservative about... 700 to 800,000 people to up to two and a half million people that are there. They have no rules. They have no laws. They have no religious system. They have no way of interacting with one another. For all of their lives, everyone that was there, they had been told where to be, what time to be there, what they were to do once they got there, and what they could do on their free time. And so suddenly you have Two and a half million people, possibly, have no clue what to do. Now, who was their leader? Moses. So Moses does what? He goes up on the mountain because when you don't know what to do, who do you go to? You go to God. And he goes to God. He says, God, what do I do with all of these people? And suddenly, God begins to give a law. Now, the Ten Commandments are kind of like the prologue, the introduction, the Bill of Rights to the rest of the law. Now, sometimes people say, you know, Pastor, I, I started reading through the Bible, and I just got to Leviticus, and it is just dry. There is just, man, have you read Leviticus? Why are they so detailed? Now, I just want you to think about this for a minute. What we have in the second part of Exodus, Leviticus, parts of Numbers, and then Deuteronomy, is all of the law that a nation has. It is not that complicated. Anybody here ever tried to read the U.S. tax code? That is complicated. This is not complicated. Why is he so specific? Because they didn't have a clue what they were doing. So he set up these laws. All right? And so they are very important in the history. In fact, when you look to the rest of the Old Testament, it is fundamental, these ten words, to the rest of the story. The narratives talk about trying to live by them. The prophets tell people to get back to them. The poetic people talk about ways that they can live them better. In fact, here's an interesting thing. If you go into further into the law, a deliberate violation of the first six of these laws. You know what it ended up in? If you broke one of the first six commandments, what happened? You died. Death penalty. That's how deliberate it was. In fact, if you go to any death penalty sentence in the Old Testament, 
any of them, they will all go back to something in the Ten Commandments. And so you have these important laws. And you get throughout the book of the Old Testament, you see people trying to live by them, trying to live by them, and they just can't. You get to the New Testament, and you say, well, Pastor, we got to the New Testament law, and what happened when you get to the New Testament is this. Jesus comes, and we don't have to worry about that law anymore, right? Is that what Jesus said? No. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And so what you have here is Jesus saying that. You say, well, does that mean that we can't eat fish anymore? I saw a a preacher on TV the other day telling people that you can't eat shrimp and you can't eat pigs. You can't eat any of that because the Old Testament says not to. Now, this wasn't just any kind of preacher. This was supposedly the most popular preacher in America right now because the Old Testament says you can't. So you say, well, Pastor, you just said the New Testament doesn't outdo it. Does that mean we have to follow those laws? And I'll just simply tell you, no. And here's the reason. In the Old Testament, there are three kinds of laws. There's civil law. You know what civil law is? That's governing laws, like policeman laws, all right? So if you take your neighbor's stuff, you got to give it back. If you um, have a problem with somebody, this is how you settle it. There's ceremonial laws that when you sin, this is how you take care of that sin. Now, neither one of those are still legitimate because the civil laws were specific people at a specific time. The ceremonial laws were before Jesus came. And when Jesus came through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, he superseded all of the ceremonial laws. But then there's a third kind of law, which is the Ten Commandments, and it's a moral law. And when we get to the New Testament, what we see is that the Ten Commandments are the substance of Christian ethics. They are the backbone, the foundation of all Christian ethics. Let's read them together, all right? Or somebody just want to stand up and, and name them all since nobody on the video could. Anybody want to do that? Okay, good. We'll just read them together. How about that? I will tell you, you can be thankful to our creative team who in our meetings decided to move from interviewing church members to personnel at a different place, right? So, because that could have been you up on the screen with the commandment counter going. All right, here we go. Verse 1, chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. That's important. We'll talk about it in a minute. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, 
for his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Here's the second reason we need to study him. Not only because of the historical significance, but because of the theological significance. Somebody tell me, what does the word theology mean? The study of God, right? Theological is a two-part word. It doesn't just mean the study of biblical stuff or talking about religion. It specifically means the study of God. And what we have in the Ten Commandments is God speaking in a declaration to the people and revealing who He is. And so the reason we study the Ten Commandments partially is so that we can relate better to God in understanding who He is. It tells us in Scripture... In verse 1 of chapter 20, the people have been impressed with the fire. The people have been amazed by the cloud. The people were awed at the Red Sea parting. It was an amazing thing. But what it tells us in chapter 20 is this, is there came a moment when he had rescued the people, when they had seen his mighty works, and he decides that it is time to reveal to them who he is. And the way that he always reveals who he is is that he speaks to his people. And he speaks these words to his people as a revelation of his character. And so there is theological significance in these words. Each word, each commandment reveals something about who God is. Each week as we talk about these things, we're going to learn about who God is in the midst of this and how He wants us to act because of who He is. You see, the Ten Commandments is not all about us. It is a holy and righteous God that is revealing to us who He is and how we can relate first of all to Him and then to each other in a way that glorifies Him. That's why I don't get two reasons I don't get put off really when the Ten Commandments end up in every public building. First of all, the Ten Commandments have always been God's Word to God's people. And to presuppose that people that are working in those buildings are all believers is just naive. And secondly, it is not that I don't want them there. It's not that I don't think they're useful. But what I think it is, is we we get so used to them that we fail to see them for what they are. We think of them as a child's game to try to name them. And I'm not talking about the video. I just mean, well, children ought to know that. That's good for them to know. Or, well, I, can, I know where they are in the Bible. Oh, yeah, I don't need to do any of that stuff. But the truth is we trivialize them when we think of them just as a list of do nots. Because they are so much more than that. They reveal who God is. They show us how to be in relationship with Him directly and how to treat each other better. I want you to think about what the world would be like if we just followed these ten words. Think about what your life would be like. If you related to God like the first four, you didn't have any gods before Him. You didn't worship the things around you, these created things, but you worship God alone. That when you invoked the name of the Lord, you invoked it with majesty, with reverence. That you did so in a way that was humbling. That you were giving the Lord at least a day of your life to honor and worship and rest in Him. That you were literally taking care of your family. That you weren't thinking angry thoughts about anybody around. That your lust was under complete control that you weren't taking ideas or stuff or downloading things that people ought to be paying for. If you were able to give 
truthful testimony about everything that happened in your life. And if you were content with what you had, what would your life be like? It would be amazing. The problem is, in America, we're creating our own set of new Ten Commandments. Um, There was a a book a few years ago that came out that uh, talked about uh, the day America told the truth. It came out in the 90s. Not a lot has changed since the 90s. probably gone the other direction, if anything. But they said, based on the answers that people gave, here are the new American Ten Commandments. I'm going to read them too fast for you to write them down, but if you would like them, I can send them to you. It's from, a, from the book, The Day America Told the Truth. First of all, I don't see the point in observing the Sabbath. Seventy-seven percent of people admitted to that. I will steal from those who won't really miss it. Seventy-four percent agree. I will lie when it suits me so long as it doesn't cause any real damage. Sixty-four percent. I will drink and drive if I feel I can handle it. I know my limit, 56%. I'll cheat on my spouse. After all, give her the chance, he or she would do the same, 53%. I'll procrastinate at work and do absolutely nothing one full day out of five because that's general, standard, operating procedure, 50%. 41% admit to using recreational drugs. 30% admit to cheating on taxes. 31% admit to putting their uh, significant others at risk of disease by sleeping around a little bit after all everybody else does. That's a very bleak picture. And so part of the reason is this theological significance of our understanding who God is and how we relate to Him. Let me tell you just six things paired together that it tells us about God very quickly. First of all, it tells us that He is Creator and a covenant maker. He is the God of creation and of covenant. It tells us in here that He made the world in six days. It also tells us that He has this covenant with His people, that He is speaking to them. Here's the second thing. Not only is He a covenant maker and creator, He is also redeemer and rewarder. It tells us right there in verse 2 that He redeemed them. He bought them back. He took them out of Egypt and out of slavery. And then it tells us that He wants to reward people. Sometimes people get so caught up in the punishment in the Ten Commandments, they miss the rewards. There is that place where He says, if you don't obey, if you don't love Me, if you hate Me, then guess what? I'm going to punish to the third and fourth generation, right? But what does He say He'll do for the person that does love? He'll extend the blessing to how many generations? A thousand. So it's a God that wants to reward more than He wants to punish. We somehow missed that. And then it also tells us in here that He is jealous and that He judges. We're going to talk about that in detail next week, how that for us jealousy is a major sin, and yet for God it is the very essence of who He is, and it is perfect in Him. But you see this theological significance. Here's the last thing. The reason we're going to study these is because it shows us the current significance. It gives us the current significance. I want to give you three pictures in your mind about what the Ten Commandments ought to do for you today, what it ought to do for our country, our culture today. And first of all, it ought to be a map. Okay? What I mean by that is it ought to guide us along the way. It ought to serve as guardrails for our lives. Now, here's the reality. These guardrails are intended to free us in liberty rather than shackle us in limitations. They are never meant to be limiting. They are meant to be freeing. 
Here's what I mean by that. Uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, our family is going to take a little vacation. And we're going to go to the beach for a few days. We haven't been able to do that in a while, and we're looking forward to it. And we go to Destin, Florida. How many of you have ever been to Destin? All right. You may have been on the, the toll bridge that goes across there. Long bridge over water right up out there. And here's the amazing thing. It, it is amazing to me. When I get on that bridge, they will not let me drive wherever I want to drive. Right? They have lanes. They have guardrails. They have things set up that will not allow me to go wherever I want to go. They are so limiting on that bridge. Right? Why? Because they don't want me going where? Into the ocean, right? It's kind of a bad bad thing. Here's what I got to thinking. What if when I go to Destin in a couple of weeks and I'm driving on that bridge, there are absolutely no guardrails or markings? How do you think I'm going to drive? Slow. Right. I am. Why? Because I don't want to go out into the ocean, right? So here's the amazing thing about a bridge. The guardrails bring me freedom to drive faster. And that that ought to blow your mind. Does that blow your mind? It doesn't? Okay, well, just think about it, all right? The guardrails, limiting as they are, actually allow us to have freedom as we go. Here's the thing. I never think that I might go off into the water when I'm driving on that bridge. I never think about it. Next time you're on a bridge, you probably will, but that's all right, all right? I never think about that. Why? Because they're up there. God intends for these ten words to be the guardrails of our lives that prevent us from going off the edge into places that would be really destructive that gives us freedom then to live in the middle with as much abandon as we want to. So it's a map. It's a guardrail, if you will. Here's the second thing. It's a muzzle. You know what a muzzle is, right? Why don't you put a muzzle on a dog? To keep it quiet, right? It's yapping. Or if you've got a vicious dog, you might put a muzzle on a dog to keep it from biting, right? I mean, you know what a muzzle is. You've seen it. There have been dogs in your neighborhood. You've thought about sending a muzzle in the mail to your neighbors, right? Tell them this might be a good use for this. Uh, So they keep things at bay. They keep the barking from happening. They keep the biting from happening. And the Ten Commandments for society ought to serve as kind of a muzzle. They prevent us, if put into action, from going off the deep end and restraining evil in some way. Here's the last thing. It's a map, it's a muzzle, and it's a mirror. Now, here's the good one. The Ten Commandments serve as a mirror into our soul. And here's the reason. If I asked you today and you were honest, how many of you had kept all ten of the Ten Commandments in the last month? None of you would make it. None of us. God knows when He gives the Ten Commandments the Israelites aren't going to make it. How do we know He knows that? Because He gives them a whole book about how to take care of their sin when they mess up. That's what Leviticus is about, among other things. And so we know when we look into the mirror of these Ten Commandments that we don't measure up. And there were some people in Jesus' day that thought they measured up. Remember the rich young ruler, the Pharisees? Well, I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus says to him, well, these are the main commandments. Just give up your stuff now. And the rich young ruler rolls away. He talks to the Pharisees and he says, you think you've got this all figured out, but you've heard it said, do not murder. And you think, great, I've done that. I haven't murdered. But have you ever gotten angry with someone in your mind? You've broken a commandment. 
You say, I haven't committed adultery. That's great. Let me ask you a question. Ever had a lustful thought come into your mind? You've broken the commandment. And then they put this on top of it. If you ever break one, you break them all. And so we look into this mirror and we see immediately that we are not in any way capable of keeping our ten words from God. And here's why that is really good news. is because God has provided a way for us that even though we have messed up, He gives us the ability to spend eternity with Him. He is a redeeming God. And look what it says in verse 2. I am the Lord your God. Here's an interesting thing about that word, your. You know, in our English language, it's hard to tell whether that means plural or if that's singular. That word in the original language is singular. And so think about this. God gives this word to Moses, and Moses stands before two and a half million people. And in front of two and a half million people, God speaks through his prophet Moses this specific word. I am your God. I'm not your God. I'm yours individually. I love and care about you individually. And so these are ten words not to a nation. These are ten words to you. I am your Redeemer. I have rescued you. And today, even as believers, as we walk down the path of beginning this passage of seeing what they mean for us today, we must be reminded that they were given to a people who had come to understand that God cared for them individually and that He loved them and He rescued them. And because of His grace and His love and His mercy, it gave Him the right to tell them what the guardrails were. And so over the next ten weeks, nine weeks now, we're going to talk about how do we live with abandon for the glory of God in the benefit of others in the midst of this road with the guardrails on the side.